Hello and welcome to a Bottom Dog episode of the Play It As It Lies podcast, home of the best predictions in football, uh, or less if you listen to this side, uh, as we called a few more underdogs on this correct side. Uh, this was the week, though, of underdogs, Frank, as we talked about week one, uh, where nine games went under, eight underdogs won outright, 11 underdogs covered the spread. Uh, Frank, you're my favorite underdog. How do you feel about predicting a few more this week? I feel pretty good. Week one was fantastic. So, so glad to have football back. Week two figures to be every bit as entertaining. And, you know, Rotom, there's truly nothing better than the first Sunday of the NFL season, sitting back, doing nothing but watching football all day. Seven hours of commercial free football, mind you. Yeah, Scott Hansen really makes everything better. But Frank, I dare say that there is an exciting part that comes right after, right after Monday Night Football concludes, uh, lest we say that our Ravens dare lose on that Monday night. You get you get a few hours to yourself, and you start thinking, man, that was a lot of football I just watched. And you got to think of what the craziest thing that can come to your mind was. So after that seven full hours of uninterrupted commercial-free football, along with a great Monday night game, probably going to be up there at the end of the season for one of the best games of the season, uh, any crazy overreactions you get? Well, there's definitely uh, good candidates for, for hot takes and overreactions, but how about Jameis Winston could finish this season as a top three MVP candidate? There was many, many questions this offseason about the Saints quarterback position. Winston won the job, and all he did in week one against the reigning MVP was throw five touchdowns in route to a 38-point performance for New Orleans. And I think there is actually... A, a feasible avenue for Winston to have an MVP candidacy season. I, I, it's a hot take, but after week one, uh, based on how everything looks now, uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's entirely crazy. Yeah, it definitely looks like a year of holding the clipboard behind one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play did really turn this man's career around. And let's not forget that. He might be doing this well against a pretty solid defense in the Packers, and he doesn't even have his number one target, Michael Thomas. And I'm really excited to see what that combination is going to look like. And five touchdowns, let's not forget, 150 yards only. Uh, manages Efficient. Quite a lot. Efficiency. It, it's pure efficiency. I mean, it's, it's Sean Payton genius uh, fully on display. Uh, it's going to be a great offense to watch, but Frank, I, I can counter yours. Uh, hottest take of mine, uh, I think the Rams are going to be the number one defense and the number one offense in football this year. I was blown away on Sunday night of how amazing this offense was. And I'm not going to you know, sugarcoat it. The Bears were bad. I like the Bears, but God, that, that defense was bad. Uh, and Matt Stafford just completed every play and every turn and everything great. And while he didn't look 100% comfortable in, in the Sean McVay play-action boot-cut offense, I mean, when he figures that out, there's going to be no stopping this offense. And Aaron Donald looks primed to win another defensive player of the year. Jalen Ramsey playing, I think they call it the spur position uh, on their defense. Uh, he was nasty to every single Bears running back. He missed Monty one for that 30-yarder in the, in the first quarter. But after that, he kept him pretty silent. So uh, I could definitely see number ones on both sides for this Rams defense, for this Ram defense and offense. Well, you know, uh, as somebody who predicted the Rams to win that division and as someone who bet the over for their win total on the season, uh, I would like that very much. Also, uh, we both were a little bit in on uh, Matthew Stafford being an MVP sleeper uh, in our prediction episode. 
Yeah, maybe he'll join Jameis Winston up there at the top three, but those are crazy predictions to start the season. Uh, but we'll move on from week one in those predictions uh, on to week two to make brand new predictions. Before I move forward, as I alluded to at the beginning of this uh, episode, uh, I might be making the better predictions as of week one, where I am nine and seven, whereas Frank is eight and eight on the money line. And Frank had himself a blunderous week, uh, six and ten on the spread, where I went nine and seven. Uh, Frank, I wish you luck in making a better week this week, and it all starts on Thursday night in Washington, well, more correctly, in Landover, Maryland, uh, at FedEx Field, plays home to Thursday Night Football as the Giants go to Washington to play the football team. Football team are favorites here at a minus 160 money line, minus 3.5 on the spread. The Giants and the G-Men the have a plus 140 money line to counter that. Uh, not the most exciting Thursday night game. Last week's uh, was incredible. Uh, will this one live up, Frank? Compared to last week, I'm confident in saying absolutely not. Uh, truly, I have no interest in predicting this game. Uh, what can you say about these two teams? I mean, Daniel Jones has owned the Washington football team during his career, and, and truly it's one of the more strange and uh, mind-boggling trends in all the NFL is that Washington cannot seem to beat Daniel Jones and the Giants. But I just feel like something has to give, right? I mean, this Giants team, and this is coming from someone who predicted them to win in week one and who bet the over on seven and a half wins for them this year. They just looked awful against the Broncos. Their offensive line is not good. Uh, I don't think Daniel Jones is very good uh, in that same light. And I'm going to say they cover plus three and a half just because it seems like they always get up for these games against Washington. But even without Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think Washington uh, is the better team. And I think they should be able to win at home, even if it's by a, even if it's by a field goal or less. I think it's a close game, but it, it's a coin flip for me, truly. Yeah, it's a coin flip, and I think I got to agree with you on the spread on that one because I do think it's going to be such a close game. But, I mean, I'm, I'm concerned about the Heineke situation because Ryan Fitzpatrick is a better quarterback than Taylor Heineke, and he did not look comfortable at all in the pocket. And, and Ryan Fitzpatrick is one to know about bad offensive lines and, and should have a little bit more experience. And he looked distraught throughout the entire game he was playing. Uh, I know that the football team has great chances, but I don't know. History says that this is the game that Daniel Jones will play best in. I mean... Half of Daniel Jones's career wins have come against the football team, and there's only four of them. He has an 100 career QB rating versus this football team and has only thrown three interceptions. Uh, he's thrown three interceptions to 12 other teams in singular games. I, I just... I get this defense is so good. I, I feel like I'm going to say this every week. I get that this defense is so good. They have a surprisingly talented secondary compared to what I expected. This offensive line is bad. This quarterback situation is uh, uh, is abysmal. Anyone who's catching the football that isn't Scary Terry is not someone I want to be passing the football to. So purely on historical basis, I'm going to go with the Giants, but I think the smartest pick here is really to go with that coin flip or just generally stay away from this game. Yeah, I think that's the best call. And this will be a good reminder that uh, we really should have appreciated the week one Thursday night football matchup we got because uh, this, this slate of Thursday night games coming up, as is every season in the NFL, is uh, not too great. Uh, it is not Frank, and I hate to say it, but I'm going to hit you with a few more games that aren't that great, uh, specifically starting with our 1 o'clock slate as the Bengals take on the Bears, a little Miss West rivalry between the two B teams. 
Uh, Chicago, uh, currently at 0-1, is favored at home at minus 155, along with a 2.5 spread. Uh, the Bengals have a plus 135 money line to go against. Are you going Bears or Bengals in the Andy Dalton revenge game? Yeah, I'm not buying into the Andy Dalton revenge game here. I'm going to take the Bengals as a road underdog. Uh, they were a home underdog last week, and they beat the Vikings. And we weren't up on this Bengals team coming into the season, but I think they looked a lot better than expected. I think Burrow looks uh, healthier and less rusty than probably would have predicted. And I just don't think the Bears are good. And I think uh, this is a downward spiral for Chicago to begin the season. And at plus 135, I mean, why not? There's no upside I think in picking the Bears to win this game and in most games for that matter, whereas the Bengals, uh, that you know, they've already proven that they can surprise a little bit. Yeah, I think if the value was there, I would have sided with the Bears, as you know, I like to. But the Bengals just beat a better team and a better defense just in general last week, and the Bears, well, they were bad, especially at the quarterback position. And I know that Justin Fields isn't going to get more than three or four snaps, so you know, why trust Andy Dalton? I think the only t- the only team that can beat the Bengals in this game is the Bengals themselves. If Jamar Chase's drops and you know the offensive line's worries come against them, Khalil Mack probably will find himself getting a pair of sacks or something. But I just don't see a way that unless the Bengals truly just shoot themselves in the foot, that the Bears come away with the win in this one. Yeah, and anytime you're saying that the Bengals are the only team that can beat themselves in a game, uh, that kind of speaks volumes to the opponent on the opposite side of the field. Uh, it does. So let's move on from this game to another B team, the Browns, who will be playing host to a 1-0 and Texans. Who would have thought that in this game the Texans would have a better record? Uh, though despite that, Houston with a plus 410 money line, I believe that's the largest of the week, uh, will be going against Cleveland with a minus 575 uh, and a spread of a whopping 12.5. Cleveland fresh off a last-second loss to the Chiefs. Uh, do you think this is going to be a 40-point win or a 50-point win? Well, I do think the Browns are going to win, uh, but I don't think it's going to be by 40 or 50 points. I actually buy in more to the Tyrod Taylor uh, revenge game-ish uh, scenario than I do uh, the Andy Dalton revenge game. Now I say that, uh, I, I preface that by saying I'm taking the Browns minus 12 and a half. I think the Texans are kind of a nice story. Uh, it was nice to see them win the way they did week one, David Coley getting his first win as a head coach. And, you know, we're, uh, we're two of the few people who actually predicted Houston to win that game. So uh, props to us. But I think when you just look at these two teams, uh, the Browns, talent-wise, are at least two touchdowns better than the Texans. And I'm going to trust that that is reflected in the final score. And the Browns, you know, they got a bad taste in their mouth after blowing that game to Kansas City. I think they kind of take their frustration out against this Texans team at home uh, and Houston falls back to earth. Yeah, falling down to earth is probably going to be much more likely. I did like watching the throwback to Mark Ingram running, I think, 26 carries was his final tally, uh, which is absolutely crazy. But, you know, just like Romeo Cornell before him, the Texans head coaches don't generally go on winning streaks. And while it was lovely to see Cully win that game, uh, the Browns, with B- Baker Mayfield, who I think played one of the best games of his career up until the fourth quarter, um... You know, they, they, like you said, have a bad taste in their mouth. 
12 and a half is kind of pushing it. I mean, almost two full touchdowns. But this Texans team is just bad, man. They just played their Super Bowl against the Jaguars. I feel like they'll be content. Tyrod Taylor might be the only one that has passion to try and win this game because you're going into a dangerous territory in Cleveland uh, against one of the best football teams in all of football. And you're just not getting a lot from the Texans defense the way you did against week one. I don't think you're getting the same production from your running game. And you're certainly not getting as quality of passing uh, opportunities as you are against that pitiful Jaguars secondary. Can you call it a, a Tyrod Taylor revenge game if he only played, what, a, a game and a half for the Browns? Two, two full games, not even that? What's, what's the cutoff for revenge game territory? Uh, I think it's got to be like two teams away. Otherwise, every game Ryan Fitzpatrick would have played would have to be a revenge game. But, uh, you know, Tyrod is getting in that territory. What, has he played in seven teams now? Uh, it certainly feels like it. It feels like he's kind of becoming the new Fitzpatrick. Well, let's hope he has a little Tyrod magic in him to keep that game competitive. But realistically, that minus 12 and a half has got to be the way. Uh, let's move on from the letter B, Frank, to a next letter, the letter C. Uh, as the Indianapolis Colts will play home to the Los Angeles Rams, who I, of course, just hyped up a bunch. Uh, and Vegas seems to be quite happy with them at minus 220. Uh, and the Rams have a minus 3.5 spread to beat the Colts. The Colts are 0-1. The Rams are 1-0. Indianapolis with a plus 180. Frank, you're the higher on the Colts side of this podcast. Do you think the Colts go 0-2 or 1-1? I think they're going to drop to 0-2. It's just a bad spot. Uh, they're still at home. But we saw another NFC West team, the Seahawks, come in to Indianapolis last week and pretty much do whatever they wanted offensively. And that's concerning because the Colts' defense is supposed to be the strength of their team, along with uh, their offensive line. But neither of those units looked particularly impressive. And you saw Russell Wilson uh, beating the Colts' secondary deep over top. And I don't see why the Rams can't do the same thing uh, with Matthew Stafford and his plethora of weapons, uh, it could be a one-possession, single-digit game, sure, but I think the Rams cover that three-and-a-half pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm getting to throw back to last year when I was just hitting on the Colts, but God, there is no way in anywhere in my mind that this is uh, going to be a competitive game because Carson Wentz did not look very good. Uh, he had a few nice plays, and I think a lot of the offense kind of would look a lot better if he had more time to throw. I think Michael Pittman got open quite a lot. But the problem is, every time you look down the field and Michael Pittman gets open, uh, Carson Wentz is already has his ass on the ground. The defense is going to do its defensive things. But as we saw with the Bears last year, I think with, with the Bears last week, uh, the Rams could make even an all-right defense look terrible. And I think they're going to make a good Colts defense look average. Uh, this is the Rams winning. This is the Rams winning by a touchdown even. Uh, I'm surprised that Vegas would go so far as to say it's a 3.5 game. I got nothing. You got nothing, Frank? Well, uh, we'll keep it going down the alphabet as we go from B to C now to D. Man, uh, this has really been convenient for me in the uh, ordering that we have these games because the Dolphins will be playing host to the final. Nope, not the final. The Dolphins will be playing host to the Bills, another B team, uh, now at home. The Dolphins are the better team, at least record-wise, here 1-0 to the Bills 0-1. Despite that, though, Buffalo is a minus 190 money line along with a minus 3.5 spread in their hands per Vegas. Dolphins with a plus 160. Another AFC East battle for the Dolphins. Do you think they keep their run going uh, with another great performance by Tua Tagovailoa? Well, you know I love this Dolphins team uh, much more than you, of course, and uh, I'm happy that they're the only. I'm happy that they're currently leading the AFC East, their team that I'm rooting for this season. But 
I'm not so sure that they're going to be able to make it two in a row here against the Bills. Uh, Buffalo obviously looked very disappointing in week one. Their offense could get uh, nothing going against Pittsburgh, and they blew a double-digit lead. I'll hedge this game with Miami plus 3.5 because it would not shock me at all to see the Dolphins pull off another upset win here. But I think Buffalo by a field goal uh, might be a more likely scenario. It's going to be close. But you have to think that Josh Allen has a little bit of a bounce back game and makes at least a couple plays down the stretch to uh, propel Buffalo. And the Bills, give me a sec, and the Dolphins' defense, you know, for as good as they are, uh, the Bills scored 87 combined points against Miami last year in two games. So we'll have to see uh, how that matchup manifests this time around. Yeah, and that's that's an interesting stat you bring up because I think this is a very interesting kind of dynamic between the two defenses that the Bills will have just faced. Uh, Pittsburgh's was obviously all about getting up on that front line, and Josh Allen would surely tell you that that was a difficult time as their offensive line did not perform well. I mean, he was pressured on 41.1% of the pass plays they had, which was the third highest for any Week 1 starter. Uh, not very good when you want Josh Allen to be holding onto the ball for four or five seconds so he can chuck it deep and use that cannon he has for an arm. Uh, and, you know, the Bills, the Dolphins are kind of that opposite kind of defense. They've got an incredible secondary, but I don't know if their pass rush is going to be a little bit of a problem. This is a huge test, I think, for the front seven that I've, I have a lot of question marks about. I think this was the biggest holdback for me saying that this could be the team that wins the division. Uh, I think you're a little bit higher than, on them. But if this is a front seven from the Dolphins and from a great head coach that you will surely note about, then this could be a 3-4 sack game just like last game, and Josh Allen will start looking like his first two-year self because once he starts getting rattled, Josh Allen does not play very well. And if that's the case, if you're not playing very well and you're throwing terrible balls over to Howard and, and Jones's way, that's, that's a lot of interceptions that could easily happen. And I think with the value on Miami's side, I, I kind of want to lean Dolphins here at plus 160. Hey, I'm not mad about it. And if the Dolphins uh, start 2-0 and with wins over the Patriots and Bills, that, uh, that Brian Flores, coach of the year candidacy, uh, would be off to a great start. You would look like one smart man, uh, though the loser of that coaching battle, at least in week one, was the guy that I picked, uh, dear old Billy Belichick, uh, who will now be going to his favorite stomping ground uh, in the Meadowlands MetLife Stadium, where the Patriots, the 0-1 Patriots, are taking on the 0-1 Jets. The Patriots had a minus 255 come in with a minus 6, just a touch under a touchdown, uh, versus the Jets at plus 205. Frank, do you think the gangrene are going to be looking gangrenous this week versus the Patriots, or do you think they'll have a chance to go up against Mac? Yeah, I think it's the former of those two scenarios. I know this is a minus six spread, but I don't see the Jets uh, having any real chance of winning this game. I think that uh, in the second half against the Panthers, uh, they looked competitive. Zach Wilson definitely turned it around, but they struggled mightily in that first half, and they're just decimated. I mean, think about all the the free agent additions this offseason on defense. Uh, Carl Lawson, Marcus Joyner, Vinnie Curry, those three guys all out for the season. And now uh, your rising star left tackle, Makai Becton, is out four to six weeks. It's just bad vibes uh, for the Jets. And this could be uh, another tough test for Zach Wilson against Bill Belichick. And for that reason, uh, I like the Patriots to cover at minus six. Yeah, it's out of the frying pan, right back into the fire for uh, Zach Wilson right now without Mekhi Becton. That's got to be a big blow for his Rookie of the Year campaign because he did not look great 
as soon as Mekhi Becton left in the second quarter, and I think that's going to keep happening this week. I think they play the Broncos next week, so it's not going to be a great start for his career, but uh, this Jets game, this Jets team does look like it has a little bit more fire under it, but not enough fire to overcome the fact that this is not a good team. Yeah, agreed, and, and I like that. Out of the frying pan, into the fryer. I think that's a, a place where Wilson and the Jets could find themselves for m- much of this season. They surely can, and I think there's another team that we might have thought had that description, which is, of course, the Philadelphia Eagles. But, I mean, what can we say about the current NFC East division leaders? Uh, the 1-0 Eagles take on and repres- and play host to uh, the also 1-0 49ers. The 49ers at minus 195 go up against Philadelphia with a plus 165. San Francisco is being favored by a field goal and an extra .5 on top of that. Um, this might have been one of the best games I've ever seen uh, coach-wise for an Eagles, probably since Andy Reid was head coach. Uh, I'm talking to you, Chip Kelly. Uh, this is probably the best way to start what could be another great Coach of the Year campaign. We talked about Brian Flores, but right now I would say the front runner, Nick Sarani. Uh, do you think Sarani has it in him to go 2-0? and Yeah, I mean, you have to give props to Sarani because, especially me, he's somebody who I had no confidence in going into the season, and I thought, frankly, uh, that was maybe the biggest weakness of this Eagles team was uh, the head coaching, but I don't know how much of it, I don't know how much of that week one performance was the Falcons defense being bad as they always are, but I liked what I saw from the Eagles a lot. And you know, I'm a big believer in Jalen Hurts. And I think they, they could be a little bit more frisky and competitive than a lot of people, both of us included thought uh, this year. I think their offense has playmakers and I think that Hurts is good enough off script and moving around in and outside the pocket that they're going to be able to score. And if the Lions scored 33 points on the 49ers, I think the Eagles are well-equipped to get into the 20s. Is that enough to win? Probably not, because I think the 49ers offense themselves is more than more than capable of scoring that and then some. But at plus three and a half, it's not a terribly confident prediction, but I'll hedge again, and I'll take the 49ers to win. But I think there is an off chance of another upset here with the Eagles uh, making this a competitive game. Yeah, it surely could be competitive. And shout out to the Eagles' offensive line last week. Uh, they were definitely not going to looking into the best. They were not looking into their best shape coming into the season, but they delivered, I think, the best performance of any offensive line that at least I watched this week. Um, cert- certainly props out to Jordan Maialita. Uh, I don't know if you saw that block on the Jalen Rager touchdown, but uh, my my heart as a former offensive lineman just went sailing. It was beautiful. Uh, truly just the only reason they scored that touchdown. But yeah, I mean, props to you for Hurts, man. I know there's a lot of people in his camp. I certainly wasn't, but 27 for 35, 264 yards with three touchdowns in the air. What, he ran for, I think, just under 70 yards on the ground, and, and his offensive line kept him pretty clean at only one sack. Uh, that was a terrific game, and if he really can keep doing this, I mean, there the, the the ceiling is is much higher than the roof for this guy. Uh, and as much as I'd love to agree with you, I think I still got to wait a few more weeks to really sink my uh, to, to really hook my boat onto the Eagles team. I'm still going to stick with Kyle Shanahan. Uh, his running game has been delightful to watch, even without Trey Sermon and now losing Raheem Mostert uh, for the entire season. He's turned Elijah Mitchell into the must-get in fantasy football this week. Uh, and, you know, it's the usual Kyle Shanahanigans um, uh, where we don't really know what's going to come out of this offense. But I think that's the fact that, you know, Nick Sarani doesn't know what's coming out of this offense either, and that might keep 
a good defense on their toes, but this offense was absolutely delightful last week, and I, I think they were the biggest surprise of anyone in Week 1, and I kind of hope it keeps going. Yeah, you mentioned Mostert. Uh, also, Jason Verrett, again, out for the season. Uh, another tough break for the 49ers. It seems like uh, the injuries are kind of already starting to accumulate. Yeah, someone's got to go get their practice field and make sure that all their doctors have a uh, medical degrees because yeah, it is not going well for them over there. But you know what a place where it's going great right now, and I can attest to that because I'm sitting right there. Pittsburgh, uh, the current 1-0 Pittsburgh Steelers will be playing host to the Raiders right here in Heinz Field, about 20 meters away from me. Uh, and the Steelers are coming in with a minus 275 as the Raiders, the Raiders, champions of Monday night's first game at plus 220. Pittsburgh are just under six points at minus five and a half. Uh, the Steel Curtain defense really showed full force, uh, but a great Raiders offense in the fourth quarter showed itself as well. Do you think it's going to be Raiders offense or Steelers defense that will take the game this Sunday? Well, you know, these are two teams who, after week one, are shaping up to maybe be better than both of us expected uh, this season, especially the Raiders. Did not envision the Raiders winning in week one, and you have to give them credit. And the question is, uh, is that going to prove to be an outlier? Was it written in the stars that in their first game in Allegiant Stadium with fans in attendance, that they were going to win in overtime in the fashion that they did? Or is this actually a, a legitimate, you know, AFC playoff contender? Uh, that will have to be seen later on in the season. But as far as week two goes, I don't know if they can pull off another victory. They're on a short week. Uh, obviously coming off a very emotional, high-stakes victory. Usually you see a little bit of a regression after that happens. Uh, this Steelers offense, I don't think, is necessarily built to uh, blow out teams or win by double digits or multiple possessions. And for that reason, I like Las Vegas at plus 5.5. And, and even at home over the past two seasons, the Steelers generally have not really beaten teams by more than one possession. I think the Raider. I think the Steelers win this game, but the Raiders uh, plus five and a half cover another hedge by me. I mean, it's always nice to to keep your hedges nice, uh, but I'm I'm gonna stick to one side, and it's, it's gonna be the Raiders. I mean, I I don't want to revert to my ways from last week of blindly of last year of blindly taking the Raiders every week, but I mean, John Gruden's a great head coach for the first like nine games, and, and this is still in that reign. Uh, the Steelers' defense was phenomenal. I mean, Cam Hayward, T.J. Watt both put on an absolute monster of a show, and Minka Fitzpatrick was keeping up things in the back. But like you said, the Steelers' offense was pretty damn bad. I mean, they punted on all five of their first possessions and only had three first downs in the entire first half. If this Bills team was anywhere as good as we know it could have been, this game should have been done by minute two of the second quarter. Mike Tomlin deserves all the credit that he can, but... I don't love Ben Roethlisberger. He hasn't been looking great. The offense generally didn't look great. Chase Claypool, despite one of the best catches I haven't seen in a long time, didn't really do much. Uh, and I don't know if you saw, but Deion Johnson got run over six or seven times when he was trying to block for Najee Harris. And that's not great for a run game that didn't look that fantastic either. Um, I'm, I am I love the Steelers defense. I think I spent all of last season talking about how great they are and how it could really hold up a team. But I don't know. If the Raiders can put a performance like they did last week, which, again, if it might have been the Stars for it to be that way, sure, it might have been. But value is there at plus 220. Almost a full touchdown in the way of a team that just won't beat one of the best teams in football on Monday night at plus 5.5. 5. 
I just can't see a way in which this is not going to go in my favor at the very least in the spread, which I know you're hedging on. But, I mean, value. Value's got to be the play there for the Raiders. Yeah, you know, I'd love to see it. And you're drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit. John Gruden's got you reeled back in, and that's totally fine. Also, for this game, the over-under 48, I think we, we kind of just laid out for – I think we kind of just laid, a, laid out a good case for the under uh, being the better play. We don't like the Steelers' offense – but we love the Steelers' defense, so it uh, could be high teens, low 20s maybe. I can definitely see it that way. I mean, the Raiders also not particularly that great in the first three quarters. I mean, even in overtime, let's be real, they won that game, but who has ever heard of taking a delay of game penalty as you're trying to take the game-winning field goal? I mean, what, what was that? I, I still don't understand how that happened. Me neither, but it worked out in the end. Yeah, hopefully John Gruden knows what he's doing, uh, at least like some other great head coaches in the NFL, such as Sean Payton uh, and the aforementioned possible MVP candidate in his Jameis Winston, uh, who come into Carolina Panthers Stadium, uh, of which I don't know the name, uh, with a minus 210 money line and a minus three and a half spread. Carolina gets to the gate that along with their 1-0 record at plus 175. Uh, Frank, drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit for this one, or are you sticking to your guns here on the Saints and their MVP at QB? Well, you know I like the Panthers, and well, what their defense did against New York, again, particularly in the first half, was very impressive. Overall, they had six sacks and interception, and they only allowed 45 rushing yards. Uh, the problem is I don't see them replicating that performance against a much better, well, a much more well-coached Saints team. And the Saints, to their credit, have beaten this Panther, beaten this Panthers franchise all but one time since 2016. And sure, maybe the Panthers can get over the hump in this matchup, but three and a half is just about the right number for me to stick with the Saints. I think they they can easily win by four more points, even on the road. And uh, it's a tough task for Sam Darnold and company to replicate a 19-point performance against a lousy Jets defense uh, versus a Saints defense that just held the Packers to three points. Yeah, I mean, that that's definitely, I mean, that, that's the case right there, right? Like, I, I don't know if what they, I don't know if what the Saints could put on the field is definitely going to be something the Panthers can match. Because, I mean, I, I was amazed at what the Saints could do. And I think Jameis Winston was a great call for that one with the five touchdowns. They went for four for four in the red zone, I think. Uh, and Alvin Kamara and the entire running game had 30 rushes before the first half had ended. Uh, they finished with 39 rushes, and that's not what the Saints do, generally. We didn't see much of Taysom Hill or anything, and I think just knowing that Sean Payton has an entire playbook of crazy stuff in his back pocket that we didn't even see in a 38-3 to win against one of the best offenses in football, there's going to be some crazy stuff on the field this week, uh, and I think there will be for every Saints game going forward. I do think that these Panthers might have a solid chance because, like you described, their defense is a ball-hawking one. They are a team that can get to fumbles, get to interceptions, and lo and behold, they're playing a quarterback that is pretty well-known for causing those. And I think in a perfect world, at least in Carolina's sense, this game ends up really close in three and a half hits on that plus 3.5. You know, Winston probably throws for three interceptions. Darnold doesn't throw for any. But that is a very niche world, and there's not quite enough value there uh, like there is at least for the Raiders uh, for me to stick to the Panthers here so I'm definitely going Saints on the money line for the spread uh, I just I, I don't see it happening I think you know a lot of underdogs last week I think this this week uh, gets Vegas gets it back on track with the favorites 
Yeah, biggest appeal in this game, Christian McCaffrey on one side and Alvin Kamara on the other. That's that's the biggest reason you watch this game. Yeah, that, I mean, those those are two of the best, most exciting running backs in, in the NFL. And that cannot be said for the final game of the 1 o'clock slate as the Jaguars play host to the Broncos. Uh, James Robinson and Melvin Gordon are certainly not terrible running backs, but definitely nowhere in the stratosphere of where those two guys are. Uh, but the Broncos come in 1-0 and into Jaguar Stadium. Uh, where there was a win last week, but it wasn't for the Jaguars. The, they are 0-1, uh, playing host at plus 220, defending against the Broncos at minus 275. The Broncos have a minus 6 uh, right next to their name in Vegas books. Do you think it'll be an Orange Crush weekend, or do you think it'll be Cheers in Duval this week? Yeah, I don't think there's too much to say about this game. I mean, the Jaguars are bad, perhaps even worse than we expected. Losing to the Texans in the fashion that they did, uh, was even more disappointing than we could have expected. Uh, whereas the Broncos, uh, 27-13 victory, uh, pretty convincing, pretty impressive in week one. Teddy Bridgewater looked good. Of course, they don't have Jerry Judy anymore, which is very, very disappointing, but they have enough offensive weapons to beat this Jaguars team by a touchdown or more, and that's the scenario that I see playing out. Yeah, I got to totally agree with you, and I know you're going to be excited to talk about him uh, all season long as this Broncos season uh, keeps going and going underway. But Bridgewater was more than good. He was great. Uh, 28 for 36, 264 yards, a pair of touchdowns, and that's leaving aside the fact that K.J. Hamler dropped one of the easier passes uh, of the game, which should have been about an easy 54-yard touchdown. Uh, their tight end, Albert, uh, whose last name shall not be spoken in this podcast, fumbled the ball at the Giants 4, which should probably end it up. So if you're really looking at this game, Teddy Bridgewater played a 360, 340-yard game with four touchdowns, uh, and that is at the fault of a very young receiving core. The more they get rapport, the more they have time to work and get with each other. When they get Jerry Judy back in six weeks, this offense is going to look better and better and better and make us think, oh God, why did we spend the last three years with Drew Locke? Absolutely. And if you're the Jaguar, if the Jaguars scored seven first half points against the Texans defense, how are they going to move the ball against this Broncos defense? My prediction is not very well. That is a bold one, uh, but I will have to second it as we move along into our second slate of games. I guess our third. As we move along to our third slate of games, those being the four o'clock, I hate to say that they aren't going to live up to the ones of last week, but the terrific games uh, from last week. Uh, but we'll start off with probably a pretty good one uh, as the Cardinals play host the Vikings. The Cardinals are favored at minus 235. They are with a 1-0 or no team in this game as they have a minus 4.5 spread. The Vikings back that up with a plus 190 money line. You know I'm usually on these Vikings for that money line. Uh, purple people eaters, I think they're going to be alive and well. But the real people eater in this game is the current, I would say, MVP favorite as Chandler Jones. Five sack, two forced fumbles. Uh, and forced Tyler Lewin, the Titans' left tackle, to publicly apologize for how bad he played. Uh, do you think we'll see another repeat? Because let's not forget, Chandler is currently on pace for 85 sacks this year. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to see 85 sacks from Chandler Jones this season. I also probably We're also probably not going to see five sacks again uh, in Week 2, but I like this Cardinals team to win this game. I'm tempted to pick Minnesota plus 4.5 because it just kind of feels like uh, the Vikings are bound to bounce back and the Cardinals are bound to regress a little bit, but I don't necessarily see it that way. I mean, the Cardinals absolutely wallop the Titans in week one, uh, not to toot my own horn, but I predicted the Cardinals to win that game and you did not. Uh, I don't think the Cardinals are necessarily as good as they looked in week one, but 
I just don't trust this Vikings team at all. Uh, the way that they lost that game uh, to the, to Cincinnati with Dalvin Cook fumbling in overtime, it's just classic Mike Zimmer Vikings football. And we talked about overreactions at the beginning of this episode. If I didn't say Winston could win MVP, my other one was going to be uh, Mike Zimmer is the first head coach fired this season. And that's obviously jumping ahead, but I just don't trust the Vikings. Their offense is vanilla. It's predictable, whereas the Cardinals, much more dynamic. And Kyler Murray, I think, is more than enough to overcome the Vikings' defense. And I'll take Arizona minus four and a half in this game. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to refute anything you said. I mean, Mike Zimmer did not look terrific after the first offensive drive had three false starts and a holding, I think, stopped four different first downs that Kirk Cousins played. And that sucks because Kirk Cousins' best series of the game was for the first drive, which included all of those fail- failures in the offensive line. I mean, they ended up with 12 penalties for 116 yards, and Kirk Cousins threw for 351 yards. He had a great game. Kirk Cousins had a great game, and they threw it away in overtime. I like Mike Zimmer. I'll keep it at that. I like this defense, and I think that's what he does best, but... You might be right. I think next year Mike Zimmer will be a DC, and it's going to be terrific for whatever team gets him. But head coach might no longer be his title after this one. Uh, But I'll have to stick to my guns. I really hitched my wagons to the Vikings this year. This might be me hitching my wagon to the Vikings just like last year and and failing once again. But I got to trust them. I really like this defense. I think the Cardinals way overperformed. Uh, And Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury have not been a consistent duo at any point in their NFL career. Maybe the Vikings can figure it out. I mean, that's a big if, but I'm going to stand with it. The value of plus 190 does give me enough confidence in a team I like, but much much like the opposite of the Eagles, I feel like in a week or two, I'm really going to be regretting just taking the Vikings blindly here. Yeah, listen, I mean, you could be right. I, I'm not saying I can't see them winning this game. And mind you, I bet the Cardinals under eight and a half wins on the season. So my rooting interest really should be with the Vikings in this game, but I just don't see it. And something to watch for, Dalvin Cook in week one against the Bengals had 61 rushing yards on 20 carries. The Cardinals' defense held Derrick Henry to 58 rushing yards on 17 carries. So we'll have to see uh, if Cook can be more successful than Henry was this time around. Yeah, it definitely wasn't a great performance for one of the best running backs in the NFL. Uh, but we'll see a little bit more of the passing game, at least in our next game, from one of the worst teams in the NFL. I'm sure you're excited to talk about this one. The Atlanta Falcons, uh, another nice NFC South game, uh, will be going to Tampa Bay, Raymond James Stadium. The Buccaneers are 1-0, minus 720 money line with a minus 12 spread. I mean, is it even worth to say the Falcons money line, or do you just want to say Buccaneers and let's get over with it? Let's just say Buccaneers win this game. Uh, that much is for sure. Different coach, different players, but the same Falcons team that can't stop anyone defensively and cannot score in the red zone. I can't believe we picked them minus three and a half last week. We should have known better. We won't make the same mistake again. With that being said, the spread is 12 points. I'd much rather say Tampa Bay minus 12, but I have a feeling if I say that, the Falcons are going to backdoor cover the Falcons are going to backdoor cover late, uh, and this will be a 10-point 10, 10 game in the Buccaneers' favor. So I'll say Atlanta plus 12, uh, but I don't feel great about it. Uh, but I do feel great about them losing this game because the Buccaneers are going to win. 
Yeah, the Buccaneers are a good team. The Falcons are a bad team. Uh, I can't agree with you on the spread. Uh, when the numbers say TB12, I usually want to pick them. And uh, in this case, they do. Tampa Bay, minus 12. Tom Brady, number 12. It all just kind of works out in this one. Next game, C versus C. We already had a B on B matchup with the Bear- Bengals and Bears. We move on to a Cowboys and Chargers combination. Another great alphabetical episode of this podcast. Uh, as the Cowboys come in off their Thursday night loss to face the Chargers in Los Angeles. Dallas at a plus 145, go up against Los Angeles at a minus 165. Los Angeles favored by a field goal at home. Uh, Frank, you know I want to talk about them boys, but I'll let you go about them bolts first. Yeah, I mean, the Cowboys looked mightily impressive in week one. Way more impressive than I was expecting. And they have extra rest heading into this game against the Chargers, which... I think should work into their favor. Uh, they are on the road. Uh, I think the Cowboys plus three is a strong play. I'm a little bit hesitant on the money line necessarily, and the only reason is I know the Cowboys' defense looked better in week one, especially when it comes to forcing turnovers, but I just don't know how much of that is going to translate. And I kind of feel like there's a, there's a scenario in this game where Justin Herbert throws all over Dallas's defense and they can't get stops, and they lose another high-scoring affair. And for that reason, uh, it's going to be another hedge for me. I feel like the Chargers will pull this one out, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Cowboys cover plus three, uh, just like they did against the Buccaneers last week. I think what I'm learning from this conversation today, Frank, is that i got to start hating more teams, because once again, I'm going to stick with my guns and go for the team that I like more, and that's the team that just threw a wonderful game against the reigning NFL champions. Their quarterback, one of the best in the league, uh, threw for over 400 yards. Their run game didn't do great, but they also played the number one rush defense in the NFL from last year uh, with one of the best running offense, with one of, the, one of the best run defenses in the league. Uh, of course, I'm going to go with them boys. America's team at plus 145 comes way too much value uh, for a Chargers team that isn't very good at home statistically. They don't have, they have one of the worst fan attendances in the league uh, since they moved to Los Angeles, and I don't think that's going to go for their side. And if you're talking about a showdown, man, uh, there's no quarterback I'd rather have than Patrick Mahomes, but after him is going to be Dak Prescott. I, I, I mean, you know, Herbert's good, but don't forget, he's still in the second year. He didn't have a great game last week. That fumble and the, inter- the interception was not a good one. Uh, and while the numbers could have been better, I think he went 31 for 49 uh, with just a touch over 300 yards. I mean, they threw the ball well over every single play. Sure, this isn't a great defense, but I think that they could find themselves in a stop, a few stops here, a few stops there. And I think it's the Chargers defense that is going to have to find themselves making more stops uh, against one of the best offenses in the league. Uh, and for that reason, once again, I'm going value for a team I like versus a team that don't think has the offense that can really match up to, again, a top three offense in football. Yeah, I was on the fence about this game. Uh, it's, it's another toss-up for me, but because no Michael Gallup, no Lyle Collins, I'll use that as my reasoning for picking the Chargers to win, but still on the Cowboys, plus three. All right, and it's a good plus three uh, for the boys. Let's move on to the last game of the 4 o'clock, Titans at Seahawks. Titans at plus 205, coming in an 0-1 record. Seahawks 1-0 at minus 255. Seattle has a minus five spread uh, for Russell Wilson to keep his MVP campaign going. Uh, he's probably up there with Jameis Winston, Patty Mahomes, and Chandler Jones, uh, but he's really got to make a statement game. Frank, do you think this is the one? Well, listen, the Titans are 6-0 and when they lose. They are 6-0 and after a game in which they lose by 10 or more points since 2019. And they can't be as bad as they were in week one, right? That that has to be rock bottom. 
But on the other side, the Seahawks have never lost a regular season home opener under head coach Pete Carroll. And you mentioned him, Russell Wilson. He is one of the Mr. Septembers in the NFL. He's just so good in the first month of the season. And I don't see how this Titans defense that just got lit up by Kyler Murray is able to stop Russell Wilson in any way, shape, or form. Also, the Seahawks' young defensive line looked really good in week one, holding Jonathan Taylor to only about 50 yards rushing. So, not saying they're going to do the same against Derrick Henry, but I think the Seahawks' minus five is probably the player. Yeah, I'd say it's more than probably the play. I, I mean, the head coach is obviously a great guy. You know, Pete Carroll, love to talk about him, but... Can we take a second to talk about Shane Waldron? Their uh, first time, first ever time he's ever called plays in the NFL, and I, he he just pitched a lovely game. Uh, and exactly what you would expect from a Carroll offense, they ran the ball 27 times for a whopping 140 yards uh, amongst four different running backs. They had five different plays uh, for 20-plus yards through the air. Wilson, I mean, did his magic. Uh, it, it's... It really felt like it came all together, and I think that maybe if they were to be playing a top five, top six, top eight offense in the NFL, which I thought the Titans might be, um, this would be a little bit more concerning because it'll be a lot of more game of can they keep up with a high pace offense like the Cowboys, Rams, Chiefs, maybe even the Browns. But the Titans, in their current state, do not look like they're that kind of team. I'm a little, I'm going to be a little bit anticipating what they could see against Derrick Henry to see if he can follow up his pretty terrible first game. Uh, but on the other hand, maybe, maybe one of these pass rushers can find themselves to five sacks too. Uh, so I'm sticking with the Seahawks. The value at plus 205 I think is pretty nice. I wouldn't be surprised if you ended up hedging this one. But, you know, minus five just feels a little too too Seahawks favored. You know, I, I feel like this line should be a little higher, maybe even a Seahawks f- like full touchdown on their side. Yeah, I tend to agree with that take. And uh, Chris Carson, uh, Derrick Henry, workout warriors, social media workout warriors. They are, and, uh, you know, it's going to be a gameable uh, 50 to 60 running plays. So get excited for the ground game to get hype for the final game of 4 o'clock. Frank, let's move on to Sunday Night Football. As once again, we talk about our Baltimore Ravens in prime time. Of course, they're coming off to a Monday Night loss to the Raiders. The Chiefs coming off a terrific come from behind win against the Browns. Uh, you know, both teams are going to be tested again. As this, it, It's seeming like this is becoming an annual matchup, and I hope it continues that way as they stay division champions. But Baltimore at home, plus 180. Kansas City plus minus 220 at a minus three and a half. Um, I mean, you know, Patrick Mahomes, as he proved last week, continues to be inevitable, and the Ravens have yet to put an end to that reign. Uh, minus a lot of players, do you think the Ravens can finally do it and put an end to Daddy Mahomes? I don't, and it pains me to say that, but it's the same thing I said last year when these two teams met right around this time. Until I see it happen, I can't pick the Ravens to beat the Chiefs. And this is a worse spot than the Ravens were in last year when they played the Chiefs at home because they have because they have way more injuries and they're coming off a loss to the Raiders in their 0-1 for the first time since the 2015 season. It would be great to see them pull off an upset. You know both of us would love to see that happen. But KC minus 3.5, has to be the play. And I think that in all likelihood, this is probably a touchdown game. I could even see it pushing closer to 10 points. The Ravens are on a short week. The Chiefs, like you said, are inevitable. Daddy's coming home to claim what is his yet again. 
Man, a lot of pessimism in that one, but I mean, uh, surely I was expecting that one. I don't have a lot of defense. I'm riding purely on vibes here. I mean, uh, the Ravens are a team that usually do pretty well after a loss, a pretty embarrassing loss at that, uh, after what should have been an easy put-away game for the Raiders in Week 1. Uh, they're on their home opener. I mean, maybe Lamar will have a good game. He was the 8th best rusher last week. I think that's the best stat I have to talk about the Ravens. I mean, I'm, I'm going Ravens purely to try and hope that they win this game and manifest it myself. But uh, like I said, Daddy's probably coming home. Yeah, he is coming home, and uh, we'll have to see. But I'm predicting another tough scene. But hey, start the season 0-2, you play the Lions in Week 3, and then the real season begins, a fresh start in Detroit. Yeah, there really is nothing better than playing the Lions to get your season rejuvenated. Lo and behold, that's exactly what Monday Night Football should be for our reigning MVP who just put up an absolute stinker in Jacksonville uh, as he lost to the Saints, uh, only scoring three points on his offense. But Vegas doesn't seem to care because they're giving him a minus 575 money line along with a spread at minus 11 to beat lowly all Detroit at plus 410. This is huge. This is a gigantic money line for a team that just lost by 35 points. Uh, are you worried at all about these Packers? Uh, I'm not worried season long necessarily. I mean, week one was an absolute disaster. There's no other way around it. But I expect them to bounce back in this game. Uh, the question is, to what degree does that bounce back uh, mean? Because one of the weirdest trends that I just found out about today is that the Lions have actually played the Packers very well. Uh, over the past five years or so, so much so that over their past four meetings, although the Packers have won all of them, two of them were decided by two points or less. One of them was decided by only a touchdown. And then prior to that, the Lions won four straight games against Green Bay. So history or recent history shows that the Lions should make this a competitive game. And it's a minus 11 spread. And I hate Absolutely hate these double-digit point spreads because I always feel like I'm going to be on the wrong side of them. But I'm going to go Green Bay, minus 11, at home. Aaron Rodgers and company coming off an embarrassing loss. It feels like they're going to score 30-plus points in this game. And I don't trust Jared Goff and the Lions on the road to manufacture offense to the same degree that they did in Week 1. And for that reason... I'll begrudgingly say the Packers cover minus 11. But again, it's a huge point spread, so I don't feel crazy about it. It is a huge point spread, and I, that's got to be uh, got to be notable. Interesting stat for you. According to True Media, this was Rodgers' fourth worst game of his entire career. Out of 211 starts, the fourth worst, um, only, beating a few, only beating a few of his games from his rookie seasons that he managed to do. Uh, but I got a few letters for you, Frank, and it's R-E-L-A-X. Relax. If this was any other season for Aaron Rodgers where we know that he'd be suiting up in, in, in green and gold next season, that'd be the kind of press Robins we'd be getting right now. But, I mean, he's obviously phoning it in, doing whatever he can to just end this miserable season in his time in Green Bay so he can just leave and go play in sunny California like he wants to. Um, this is this is it. You know, until we see him in important games, he is essentially the Kawhi Leonard of, of the NFL at the moment because until we need him, he's not going to be there. Uh, and for that reason, I do like the Detroit plus 11. I got another hot take for you aside from my Rams 1-1. One one. Uh, the Lions might have a terrible season, but against the spread this year, I think they're going to go well over 500. 
Uh, Dan Campbell, or as I'm going to start calling him, Cover Campbell, I think is one of those nutty, nutty head coaches, and you could tell in the last seconds of those games that they're trying. He's going to go for two. He's going to go for another four. He's not going to want to punt. He is the exact kind of coach, given a double-digit spread, is not the kind of coach I want to bet against. Detroit plus 11 all the way. You're probably right, and so much so that I'm actually going to change my prediction and say Detroit plus 11. It makes sense. There's always a team like that every year that's bad, but the head coach is balls to the wall and lays it all on the line. And like you said, uh, Dan Campbell is probably that guy this year. So actually, I'm flipping my predictions. I'm taking Detroit plus 11 and the previous double-digit spread, the Falcons and Buccaneers, I'm moving from Atlanta plus 12 to Tampa Bay minus 12. So I'm going to tell you on both of those spreads, and if I end up being right, on my original predictions, we're, uh, we're going to have a not-so-great conversation next week. Listen, as I said earlier, it's never bad to bet on TB12. And on top of that, you know, Campbell's Chicken Noodle Soup is something we'll all be eating when uh, when that man manages to cover and save us some money. Uh, but speaking about making money, Frank, it's come to that time of the week. Uh, last week, I was wrong, 100% wrong, 1,000% wrong even on my pick of the week at the Buffalo minus 6.5. As Buffalo failed to even win, you managed to get it by the skin of your teeth against Cover Campbell uh, at minus 7.5 in San Francisco. Uh, you're 1-0. Do you want to back up your second lock of the week? Well, hopefully. And uh, there's two games here I'm thinking of. Uh, the Kansas City-Baltimore game, Chiefs minus 3.5. But I don't want to say that because the Ravens are my team and I never want to put too many bad vibes out there. So I'll go with the Rams minus three and a half against the Colts. I mean, we've laid out all the reasons for why the Rams are one of the best teams in the NFL. And I think they're in a good spot still to uh, cover that three and a half in week two. Yeah, that's a terrific pick, and that was uh, definitely going to be one of my two. But I'm going to go elsewhere uh, in a similar region of the United States. I'm going Patriots at Jets, sticking with the Patriots at minus six. Uh, Bill Belichick is not going 0-2 in the division. Not only that, to start the season, no way. I don't know how bad Mac Jones has to be to lose this game, but it can't be as bad as this Jets team is. Uh, I think minus six, solid amount of points, uh, but don't look at anyone else but Bill Belichick to make sure he wins this game. Yeah, I agree 100%. Patriots, Rams seem like two locks to win. Uh, we'll have to see if we're right about the spreads, though. But I think we're both looking pretty good in that department. Uh, I think we are. Frank, though, if you were making one other bet, I hear you have a teaser for us, as we did for our very successful first week teaser. Uh, absolutely. We, we didn't talk about that teaser on last week's episode, but it was on the Twitter for those who followed. We had Buccaneers minus one, 49ers minus half a point. Chiefs plus one and Rams minus half a point, and it pulled through at plus 200 value. There was some sweats. There was some close finishes there, but uh, we'll hope that this week's teaser is a little bit more convincing, and we put our brains together, of course, wrote them, and we compiled another four-way teaser at plus 235 value. That is the Browns minus six and a half, the Rams plus two and a half and the Patriots PK and the Broncos PK. So a couple teams we already said that we're confident in in the Patriots and the Rams and then the Browns winning by a touchdown as well as the Broncos winning outright against the Jaguars. How do you feel about that one? 
absolutely love it. Uh, the bottom three of which, the Rams, New England, and Denver, are probably going to be in the competition for my lock of the week. But Denver is such a good team. And the Jaguars and Texans, who the Browns and Denver are playing, are pretty bad teams. Uh, so I think we're pretty good on doing that. But teams, for those of you that feel that you've left out, that you missed on a great teaser from two of the smartest guys on the internet, uh, you can sure make sure to check out our teasers and any of our other bets uh, that we play on one of the best Twitter accounts on Twitter, at PlayItPod. You can also find a great Twitter account. You can also find a great Instagram account, not so well run, uh, at PlayItPod as well. You can check me out on both of the platforms, at Rodham Kaufman. And Frank, where can our listeners find you? Uh, you can find me as always on the Twitter sphere at FrankJP0. And uh, rest in peace, Norm MacDonald, uh, a comedic legend. Mm-hmm.